it was kind of scary. I'm not going to lie. You, when you're in high school, especially like your senior year of high school, you are the big fish in the big pond. Um, and then you walk onto college campus and you see people who just look so much bigger than you. They might not be taller than you, but, but they have been lifting for four years and they just physically just look so much bigger and so much stronger. And it definitely is a little bit intimidating. Making an athlete, a show about athletes, coaches, scouts, trainers, and the stories behind their careers and what it takes to build yours. I'm Ty Davis, and on this episode of Making an Athlete, we talk to recent University of South Carolina swim alumni and graduate Brittany Oxley, a highly coveted nationally ranked swimmer in her class. Her state and national swim records provided her the opportunity to choose from top Division I schools as she looked to continue pursuing her ultimate swimming goal of becoming an Olympic swimmer. Fresh off of her four-year stint as a student athlete swimming in one of the top Division I conferences in the nation, we discuss the roller coaster of emotions in her pursuit of making the Olympic trial qualifiers and the transition from student athlete into establishing her career post aquatics. Right, thanks for joining me today, Brittany. Uh, first of all, just wanted to have you introduce yourself, uh, talk about uh, your sport, who you are, uh, where you played, give us a little bit of background information on you. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so, I mean, I was born and raised in Sacramento, California. I grew up playing all different sports. Um, I played soccer, volleyball, track, but the thing that stuck with me the most was swimming. Um, I started when I was six years old and then did that all the way through high school and was fortunate enough to have that lead to a scholarship where, um, I went and swam at the university of South Carolina for all four years. All right. Um, where you were born, uh, Elk Grove? Um, I was born in Sacramento, and then I lived in Elk Grove for a few years, and then we moved up to Folsom. So I graduated high school from Vista del Lago up okay. in Folsom. Yeah. Very nice. Well, um, let's talk about a little bit about that. You know, starting back, you said when you're six, playing youth sports, um, the different sports that you played, you kind of touched on it there. Uh, you played soccer, uh, you were playing, you were swimming. Uh, what was the other sport that you mentioned? Um, I played volleyball and I ran track as well. Uh, did you do that all through school. high school? Or? Um, yeah, so I did everything until I was 12. And then when I was 12, um, I made the executive decision that I needed to put all of my focus towards one sport. Swimming is extremely time-consuming and we have morning practices, afternoon <laughs> practices, starting when you're 12 years old. So just from a time management aspect, it didn't make sense for me to continue to play other sports when I knew that my path was swimming. So when you talk about it being an executive decision by you, I mean, at 12, year old, at 12 years old, that's, that's a big decision. How much of that was your decision and how much of that was your parents you know, providing their input? I mean, my parents definitely encouraged me to be involved in as many sports as possible and be as well-rounded of an athlete as possible. Um, but for swimming, you start morning practices at 12 years old. It's extremely time consuming. You don't have much time in your schedule to be involved in several different sports. And for me personally, um, I was ranked very high in the state, very high in the country. And I just had a clear cut path that swimming was what I wanted to do. I loved it more than anything. I, all I wanted to do was be a swimmer. All right. So 
that's kind of, it was, it was both. My parents definitely encouraged me to kind of pick something, but it was swimming all the way. Okay. So that's awesome that you were ranked. I mean, as a 12 year old, that's gotta be pretty, like a pretty cool thing to be ranked nationally and, and, and statewide. Uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. I mean, swimming is hard because there's so many different events, but it definitely helps your confidence as an athlete, knowing that you are one of the 10 fat or 10 fastest people in the country at a particular event. Yeah. That's gotta, that yeah. Gotta get you pretty juice as a 12 year old. And yeah. When, you know, when you're that age, I guess, and you're going into swimming, you're 12 years older, you, you start a little bit earlier that how do you, how do you choose at a young age, what events you want to do? How do you find, you know, what you're good at with all the different events that you can do in swimming? What, what kind of, for you directed you towards, and I don't even know, actually need to ask what events did you do? Yeah. So when you're really little starting at six years old and you are swimming summer league, you swim everything. You show up to swim meet, you run through every single event. I think when you're six, you're probably swimming four or six events on a Saturday morning. Um, so you're taught the second you enter swimming to be well-rounded, to swim everything, to swim all four strokes, all different distances. And then I think as you grow up, you kind of just figure out what you're better at. It's like other sports. Like if you play baseball, you know that you're a pitcher. You know if you're if you play in the outfield, there you just have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, when I was really little, I actually wanted to be a butterflyer. My mom was a swimmer as well. She swam butterfly. I thought it was so cool to swim butterfly, but I got shoved into a 200 breaststroke when I was 12 years old. Actually, I might have been 11, and I won that race hands down. I was that time was ranked, I think like 20th in the country. And it was the first time I had ever swam that event. And so from that point forward, for whatever reason, like breaststroke was just what I swam. That's what I was best at. And that's what I was recruited for in college. Okay. So I swam hundred and 200. 100 and 200. Okay. Yes. Um, So what, what was that experience like, you know, as, as a youth, you know, we're talking still like 12, 13, yeah, so just like 12 and, and younger, um, not, not quite high school yet, but how much were you um, participating in, in meets? What was the, the cadence um, of, of that schedule? So I'd have practice six days a week, Monday through Saturday. Um, I was not doing morning practices at that point. Our practices consisted of probably... 45 minutes of dry land. So we would run or do abs or try to get some sort of cross training in. And then we would be in the water for maybe an hour and a half. Um, meets were every two weekends, I would say, but swimming is very unique to where you train for a six month period to have one race at the end of the season. So although we were going to meets every weekend, you were not necessarily going best times every single weekend. It was more practice for race strategy okay. to prepare yourself for the end of the season. So it was like your Super Bowl. Yes. So you're 12 years old and as you're transitioning now, you're you're coming of the high school age. What what is the steps, what is the path for, you know, a lot of our sports that we talk to, um majority of them you have your travel teams or you have your specific clubs that you're a part of, but then there's also that high school component. Uh, 
what is the the for swimming for you the high school and then did you is it a club team or what's the correct terminology for for a swim um, that's outside of just high school yeah so I swam for a club team I swam for Arden Hills which is a very well known club team Mark Spitz he basically was Michael Phelps before Michael Phelps he swam for Arden Hills Debbie Myers one of the best female swimmers in the country she swam for Arden Hills. So I swam there year round, 12 months out of the year, every single practice. And then I would just show up to our high school meets um, once a week. Not everyone was like that. But for me, the training that I was getting there, I could not have gotten from my high school coaches. You you got to represent the high school, but you didn't have to participate in the practices because um, you were already in a a training regimen at the Arden... um, Sorry, the Arden Swint. What's it? The Arden Arden Hills. So with, you know, participating in the high school meets, but not practicing with a team and, you know, just practicing and and still participating in meets for um, your Arden club, was that controversial uh, with with the high school team at all? Yeah, it definitely was a little. um, The year-round swimmers didn't have to go to high school practices whatsoever, some people chose to go once a week just to show face and be a part of the team. Um, but swimming is very unique in that it is an individual sport. And then your place at meets gives points to the team. So although I'm sure that there were some parents or people who disagreed with our decision to go to high school practices... Ultimately, we were contributing more to the team by staying in our typical training routine so that when we went to high school meets, we were able to perform and get first place or second place and contribute points back. Okay. That's real interesting. I think that's, I think now as, as we go on with, with um, club sports team or sports outside of high school, uh, it's becoming more common that you see a lot of like the best competition is in the club area. Um, this one's unique to me. I've never heard that before where you were able to go to the meets, um, but it does make sense in an individual sport. And I start to think about other sports, you know, like this is golf like that, where, um, you know, high school, you could just show up and it's just a, a competition, um, but you're still competing, you know, in a, in a different um, kind of a track, but that's pretty cool that, that, at least you got to do that, still give uh, the high school recognition in terms of like how you performed. And I mean, how'd your high school do? Were you guys? I mean, we were, yeah, we were really good. We definitely had a smaller high school compared to some other local high schools. We weren't a St. Francis. We didn't have 200 girls or 100 girls on our swim team. Oh, wow. um, but when we went to high school sections, we were consistently top five, which is really good for only having probably 12 girls there who were scoring points. And out of those 12, okay. So you're saying 12 that are scoring points. How big was your mm-hmm. team? Um, our team was probably 80 people out of guys and girls. Okay. And then how are they, how are they divvying up? You know, who, how many people are going towards each event? Um, are you competing against, you know, two other people from your team in those same events or how's that rationed out? Yeah. So the coaches each week will have an entire slot of events. So you run through, oh gosh, maybe 12 events and then two or three relays. 
in each week, the coaches just decide who they want to put in those events based on who you're swimming. So if you're swimming against a faster high school or a high school that has more year-round swimmers or some like very talented swimmers, you're probably going to swim your better events because there's a chance that you could lose those if you were not in those events. Um, and then if you're swimming maybe like a less competitive high school, we got to switch up events and swim. I don't know. I did not swim backstroke whatsoever, but sometimes <laughs> I got to go swim a hundred backstroke just for fun. Okay. If we knew that someone else on our team could win a hundred breaststroke, for example. Okay. That's cool. It's kind of mixing it up. Yeah. And, and based on competition, letting people get a, an opportunity. When you're, you're, you know, you're going through youth, you're going to high school, um, what is the motivating factor for you that you want to keep swimming? And, and the, the background of this question is, you know, there's parents out there that are um, young athletes. What is it that keeps them motivated? Or if a parent's looking at this, just so they can understand it from the perspective of what you were thinking at that age, what kept you motivated to just wanting to keep playing at that next level or swimming at that next level? I mean, for me, there were definitely two factors. The first was that I am a very competitive person and I hated losing anything. So the thought of not being involved in sports or not swimming, I don't think that I could have found another outlet to be that competitive. And then the second was just my love for it. I couldn't imagine my life without swimming. I couldn't imagine going to college and not being involved in the sport in some sort of capacity. So those definitely drove me to want to continue post high school. Okay. So you're one of the top swimmers uh, in the nation and the state. Let's talk about like the recruiting process and how did that start for you? At what age did that start for you? And, And kind of just highlight the beginning until you made your decision of going to University of South Carolina? So obviously NCAA rules have definitely changed in recent years and they've definitely changed among different sports. But when I was getting recruited, um, we weren't allowed to have a phone conversation until July 1st of your senior year of high, going into your senior year of high school. Um, so I started receiving letters my freshman year of high school from different colleges across the country just saying, hey, we're super interested in you. Let's keep in contact. We're watching you. Um, I can't wait to talk to you on July 1st. I think it was 2013 at the time. Um, so with that, let's talk about that. When you when you first get those letters, what's the feeling? Because now, now you can look back and you know the process, but when you first get that letter, because I can remember when when I did and I'm like, Oh my goodness, like this means they really want me. But then I actually, I'll let you answer before I say what I felt after understanding the process. So you first get the letters. What are you feeling? At first you're just so excited. You're like, Oh my goodness. All of my hard work is paying off. Um, I had a bulletin board in my bedroom and I would put all my letters on there just as like a constant reminder. This is what I'm working towards. But at the same time, I was 14 years old and there's a lot of progress to be made between the ages of 14 and 17 or 18 when you're finally signing to that school. So just because a school wants me now doesn't necessarily mean they're going to want me in three years. Um, So you kind of have to be realistic about it. It's very exciting, but you also have to just keep your head down and continue to work because 
you're not going to get something handed to you just because you're good at the age of 14. Right. So you get your letters and then what's next? And those, out of that, you know, freshman year, you're getting your letters, 14 years old. What happens until you sign? Um, I went and took a few unofficial visits to schools that I was really interested in. I knew that I wanted to get out of California. I knew that I did not want to compete in certain conferences in the country. Um, Any reason why? Yeah, swimming is really unique in that you train with guys, but it is a female sport, if that makes sense. I was used to training with different people around me all the time. And every conference is kind of laid out differently to where the ACC, for example, you might train with guys, but when you go to meets, it's a separate conference meet, men and women. So you don't have any of those guys around you cheering you on. Okay. Pac-12 is completely separate. You train with a female team or you train with a, like a men's team. Um, a lot of Big Ten schools are that way as well to where you're training completely separate. You have separate head coaching staffs, um, separate weight coaches. And then the SEC is very combined and very integrated to where you're training with guys. You have the exact same coaching staff. You show up to your conference meet. Um, your guys team is there and you just run through events, the female event and then the male event and then the female event and then the male event. Okay. So I knew that the SEC is kind of what I was aiming for. And on top of that, it definitely is the fastest conference in the country. So to me, that was just like the pinnacle of now is that, swimming. Is that your biased SEC view? Or um, <laughs> is it? I might be a little biased, but if you were to Google it, it would probably say SEC is the fastest as well. Okay. Um, most Olympic coaching staffs, the head coaches come from an SEC school. The SEC produces the most Olympians every single year. All right, that's a pretty good stat record to have. So, conference was a big part of the decision. What other factors helped you make your decision and? and choosing South Carolina, you know, in that three years, you got your letters, you start thinking about different aspects of the school you want to go to conference. Um, what else? Um, I think the most important thing is how you fit onto a team and your role that you're going to play going into that team and into that environment. Um, there were schools that I really wanted to go to that I was really interested in, but I was going to be the fourth or fifth fastest breaststroker on that team. And so I knew I wasn't going to travel. I knew that I would have to fight really hard in order to contribute. And so for that, that definitely drew me away from other schools. Um, and I think and so what you're saying, I think that's... And we, we just had a conversation. Um, who were we talking to? Oh, uh, talking to Lance. He was uh, He's water polo. And he brought up that fact that, you know, um, in water polo... And actually in a lot of sports, a lot of people chase that name of that school. And I say, um, we'll just pick someone specific. You know, I want to play on Stanford. Um, But like you mentioned, they're going to be a little bit farther down the depth chart. Now you have your Tom Brady stories where, you know, he was far on, you know, the the depth chart and he made his way up and now he he is who he is. But um, a lot of times I think it's important that what you're talking about here and parents and and young athletes understand this is you find the right fit where you still, um, it's not saying that, Hey, I, I'm not up to the task of competing to earn my spot, 
you have choices of, for you in this case, a lot of Division One schools, and you want to swim and you want to be traveling with the team. Um, so you see who was on that team and where you fit in. And that is an important part of how you chose to where, where you want to go because um, it, it was allowed you to have the ability to compete more often. And, and that's great. And that hearing you say that, because it just kind of reiterates what Lance had talked about from the coach's perspective of, you know, as you're looking at recruiting or colleges that are recruiting you, choose one that you think that I can continue to compete and have an opportunity to play. Um, Yeah, definitely. I think it's different for everyone too. I mean, there's people who their dream is to go and swim at Michigan, for example, and they don't care if they're a walk-on. They just want to be a part of the Michigan swim team. Um, There's people who want to be top dog the second they step foot on campus as a freshman. I think it's kind of just figuring out what is important to you and what motivates you. For me, I wanted someone who was faster than me on the team. That would push me to want to be better than them. Um, so. Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And like you said, there is like that, like, yeah, you could be a recruit, uh, walk on. Like I always wanted to go to university of Kansas, um, big Jayhawks basketball fan. And when I was a Juco transfer, when I applied, I applied to ASU, U of A and Kansas and had gotten contact with the baseball, uh, head coach. And they said, Hey, we'd love to have you. Um, but you'd have to be a walk on, like there's no scholarships available. Um, and you know, I, I contemplated it, but then, <clears throat> see, then I had a scholarship opportunity come along and that's the route that I took. Um, so you, you're going into, uh, you're like, you're mentioning here, you you looked at the rosters or you're looking at, you know, where you'd fit in on the swim. Um, let's kind of get to that part where like, ultimately, you know, you're making your decision, what it come down to, what were, you know, if you had a short list, what was a short list that you're My short on? list. Yeah. My short list was South Carolina, LSU and Ohio state. All right. Um, yeah. Ultimately my final two was definitely LSU and South Carolina. But when I was narrowing it, it down, um, one other factor that was really important to me was kind of just your incoming class, you know, who are you going to be with for four years? What kind of people are you going to surround yourself with um, for your entire college experience? And at that point, I would have been the first commit of my class at LSU. They did not have much money my my year. Um, so I knew that it was going to be a very small recruiting class. I could be one of three people my entire four years of my class of 2018. Versus at South Carolina, I knew people who had already committed, who I had met on my official visit, who I just really clicked with. And I knew that what we could build would be something like really special and very memorable for my entire college career. Uh, you mentioned real quick, and then we'll, I want to come back. You mentioned official and earlier you mentioned unofficial. What, mm-hmm. what were the difference in the two? I know you're with NCAA, you're limited to at the time when I was playing, it was five official. I don't know what it is now. Um, What was the difference in those two visits when you were making unofficial and official visits? So I took some unofficial visits my junior year of college. I wanted to go out and see schools prior to my official visit. I wanted to be face to face with the coaches and actually interact with them and see if that was something that I would be interested in. So my dad and I took a trip 
out to the East Coast. I went to a bunch of different SEC and a few ACC schools okay. um, to kind of just get a feel because same with me when I was getting going through the recruiting process, you had five official visits and I knew a lot of people who had taken officials and said, I just wasted my time. Like they knew being on campus after 15 minutes that they just wasted their entire weekend because they knew it wasn't a fit for them. Okay. So I wanted to make sure that my officials were good fits for me. Right. Makes perfect sense. So you make uh, the decision, South Carolina, you have the incoming class. Um, one other question I want to ask you and uh, is, you know, when these colleges are reaching out to you and they're offering scholarships and obviously there's, there's a pool of scholarship money for every different sport, uh, baseball, you have, you know, 11.7 scholarships to spread amongst 30, um, 30 different uh, athletes or baseball players. What, what is the approach from when the colleges are talking to you and saying like, Hey, this is how much money we have to give you, or this is, are they working out a one-year deal um, and saying, well, gauge your performance the next year and tell you, or are they saying over four years, here's how much money we're going to give you? So for me, it was, this is how much we're going to give you. You keep that amount for four years, no matter what happens, you can't go down unless you were to get kicked off. However, if you qualify for this meet, if you make NCAAs, if you make Olympic trials, then we can increase your money based on it performance. So exactly. Okay. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's, that's a motivation. I mean, you see incentives a lot and like professional contracts, you always hear NFL and MLB, you know, you make the pro bowl, you make an all-star game. So that's awesome that they did that uh, for you as a swimmer. And that's something I haven't, I haven't heard about before, at least in the baseball world. Um, so you make the decision, you head off to South Carolina um, what is that? You're a freshman, you come in, what is, what's that feeling or what, what do you remember most about, uh, being at that next level of competition and just in a whole new world? You're not in California anymore. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a culture shock. Um, I was surrounded by people who sounded differently than I did. I, I have family who lives in the South, but not having a Southern accent whatsoever. I was definitely out of place a little bit. Um, but it was kind of scary. I'm not going to lie. You, when you're in high school, especially like your senior year of high school, you are the big fish in the big pond. Um, and then you walk onto college campus and you see people who just look so much bigger than you. They might not be taller than you, but, but they, have been lifting for four years and they just physically just look so much bigger and so much stronger. And it definitely is a little bit intimidating, but you just have to remember that you were recruited by the school for a reason. And there's a reason why you are there. And if you get too wrapped in your mind about, Oh, I don't deserve to be here. I don't think you're going to end up performing well. Going into your first meets freshman year, and then your progression to senior year. What, you know, what was that like? Yeah. So freshman year definitely is a transition phase. Um, I went best times, but I don't think I performed near where I thought I was going to perform. You're getting used to a whole new coaching staff, a whole new training program. Um, in high school, I'd been at the same coach for three years. I knew exactly the way to communicate with him. I knew our dynamic and how to 
respond to his training. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into a new environment. So there is a learning curve for sure. Your freshman year, um, I think sophomore year, you kind of start to figure it out more. That was definitely my best year performance wise. I think that I really bought into the program the, the most my sophomore year. And then also my sophomore year was 2016 Olympic trial year. So there's that motivating factor of I'm going to work my butt off because that's what I want to accomplish. Right. Um, How did it turn out for you in terms of the trials? Yeah. So I ended up missing trials by seven one hundredths of a second in a 200. So my race was two minutes and 35 seconds. I missed it by 0.07. So that was that was disappointing. And that was a huge blow. And that definitely affected my junior year. I don't think I was that confident going into my junior year. I definitely in the back of my head was like, I just trained for 16, 15 years of my life to accomplish something and I didn't accomplish it. So my junior year was rough. I would practice very well. I was training well. I was eating right, doing everything kind of by the book but I would show up to meet and get behind the blocks and like fear and anxiety would just take over and I was wow. not performing well. And so that's, so. And that's, I mean, looking into now the mental capacity of, of performing and for you, it's obviously, and again, you know, things that I, as a baseball player, wouldn't think of because I don't have an Olympic trial and that's such like the escalon of, of swimming and just, and I can't imagine Going through that, that I, I get when you're saying it, I don't get how you feel because only you, you know, you know how that feels, but um, where you're training all that and then you 2016 is your year and then 2020, you're out of school. So then that's where you're like, oh, well, 20 is not probably a possibility because I don't have the accessibility of my university. So that was it. And then coming off that, that's, yeah, I can understand that's, that's gotta be hard. Um, you know, with that, were you able to overcome that, you know, going into your senior year? Um, you know, I can, what was that process going into senior year from junior year? Yeah. So from junior year, I made, in previous years, I had decided to stay at school and train throughout the summer. I didn't come back to Sacramento whatsoever, with the exception of like a week before school started just to see my family and see my friends. Um, at the end of junior year, I made the decision that I was going back to Sacramento for the summer. And that was the best thing that could have happened to me. I came back home. I was barely swimming. I swam maybe two or three times a week, but I was hitting it really hard in the weight room. I was going to CrossFit, which I had never done CrossFit before in my life, and just trying to find other outlets and ways to get better. And then when I showed up that fall going into my senior year, I think I had way more clarity and I was actually like motivated to want to do better. Um, so my senior year, I, I did well. I mean, I went a best time in my 100 breaststroke, which I hadn't done since I was a senior in high school. So definitely coming home that summer helped me. So I mean, from it the sounds like it's like aspect. mentally like freeing yourself from what was the, the norm for you. And then, I mean, did, it being the senior year, did that kind of play in like, oh, it's my last year. I'm going to just make the most of this. Um, and then kind of was it like freeing in a way you didn't have the anxiety of that junior year, which is you're coming off the Olympic trial um, attempt. And then 
um, you know, it's still junior year and it's, you have one more year after that. So senior year is kind of that last hurrah in a way. Yeah. I think that I wasn't, there wasn't pressure on me whatsoever. It was like, right. this is my last year. I'm going to have fun. I'm just going to do what I do best. I'm going to train. I'm going to go to class. Whatever happens, happens. Like I will be very happy with finishing all four years. I'll be very happy with like the memories that I made. So I didn't put pressure on myself like I did my sophomore or even junior year. Like I have to make this time standard or make this time standard. I have to go to Olympic trials. I mean, I wasn't obsessing over times or anything like that my senior year. Okay. Looking back at those four years, like you're coming out of it, what is, um, I'm not a big, I don't like the, you know, what would you do different kind of question, but just more of a perspective of like advice for someone else that's entering uh, their freshman year. What would you, you know, tell that, tell that person to um, focus on or understand that maybe you would have told yourself if you were going in as a freshman? Yeah, definitely to accept that there's going to be hard times. I think that when I was growing up and even into high school, I was never really faced with challenges. I had never had injuries before. I had never had difficulty getting along with teammates or getting along with coaches. And in college, I wish I would have been a little more adaptable my freshman year. Um, that's the biggest piece of advice I would give just to buy in and know that there's a reason why things are done a certain way. And to accept that and just continue to move forward. Okay. And I mean, do you, do you think that a lot of that had to be with the, like when you were out in high school and at um, the Arden club, like you were one of the top athletes. So did it seem like, I mean, you kind of you alluded to earlier where it's like, that's all you knew. Like you were the top athlete. And so it came easy to you. And then you're moving on to this next level where now you're kind of even keel with everybody else. And then you got to work a little bit harder. Was that kind of something that happened or am I, am I off here? No, definitely. You have to, you're, I mean, again, you're not the biggest, fastest person on the team anymore. You have to kind of understand your role and be motivated by something else before I was motivated by being the fastest person. I wanted to be the fastest. I was the fastest. I didn't want anyone to beat me ever at practice and races. And so you kind of have to adjust to that when you get to college because now there's people who are faster than you. There are people, there are incoming freshmen who are way faster than you. They're 18 years old and you're now 21, 22 (laughs) and they're blowing you out of the water. Yeah. Uh, You said, you mentioned about an injury. Did you have any injuries? Yeah. So my freshman year, I was diagnosed with, um, degenerative disc disorder, or it's called DDD. Um, I found out that it was completely hereditary. It's a family situation, but lifting specifically like deadlifting definitely brought it on quicker for me. Uh Um, So I was out of the water my freshman year for almost a month and I wasn't allowed to swim. I wasn't allowed to lift. I wasn't allowed to run. I wasn't allowed to ride a bike. I couldn't jump rope. It was it was hard. Yeah. So what is um, that like? I mean, mentally you're there to prove yourself, you know, that for, you can't be in the water for a month or doing anything. How did you yeah, overcome that? It was difficult. I mean, luckily I had a coach who was very supportive and he knew that 
when we got to conference in February, so let's rewind. My, my injury happened the first week of January, like January 2nd or January 3rd. Um, we were swimming Georgia and I dove in and I like physically could not move my legs in the water. And I got out and I was like, something is seriously wrong with me. Like I was getting shooting pains. It was, it was really bad. Uh. Um, conference is the third week of February. So I had about seven weeks from that point until conference. And luckily I had a coach who was very supportive and he basically told me like, if you continue to just be motivated, I will let you travel to conference this year. Um, and it was hard because there are people who were fighting for spots to go to conference and who were not in or who were in the water doing what they were supposed to be doing every single day. And they probably weren't going to go at the end of the season. Um, so there was a little bit of guilt, but at the same time, I knew that my performance at conference, I, I would give it everything I had to contribute back to the team. And it was only like a moment in time that I couldn't be in the water. And it wasn't me choosing not to be there. Like the doctors were the ones saying you have to be out of the water. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I imagine the staff, I mean, you have a great staff there at South Carolina with, you know, between athletic trainers, the strength and conditioning coaches and the doctors. Um, helping making those decisions. So we talk about coaches real quick, just uh, in, in, you know, from your youth age to all the way through college, you know, what was, what made you really like a coach or really um, get motivated by a coach or get uh, just receptive of whatever they had to say? Cause you know, everyone has different coaches throughout. I have, I've had good ones. I've had bad ones, ones that knew how to, um, talk to me in the way that I wanted to be uh, coached. What was, you know, what were some coaches for you? You don't have to say their names if you don't want, but you know, just what were their attributes? I like coaches who are very direct, who if you're not doing well, they'll straight up tell you to your face, like you suck. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't like when coaches are, um, when they kind of, beat around the bush, for example, like if you're not having a good day, they'll sugarcoat it and they'll just be like, Oh, like you're fine. Like just keep doing this. I like when you're hard with me. I like when you tell me I suck. I like when you tell me that I need to be doing something better. But also I think it's really important to have good communication with your coach. And that is a two-way situation. Um, You have to give to them what you need and they have to be receptive to that and vice versa. If a coach isn't working out for you or you guys are having a difficult time getting along, I think it's the athlete's responsibility to go to that coach and say, listen, like this is what I need from you. What do you need from me in return in order to help build our relationship so that I can perform well for you? Yeah, no two-way communication. That very important, but very uh, hard to do sometimes with coaches because they're intimidating and you feel like they hold your your money or your scholarship um, and you don't want to ruffle the wrong feather, but still as a coach, they should be receptive of that as you know, you have this young adult coming to you and have that conversation um, to make it a better, uh, you know, coach player relationship and overall for better for the, the team. Uh, you, you finish your four years. Um, you are now moving uh, outside of college, you're graduating. Uh, what is it? You know, a lot of people don't 
realize a lot of times like how it's a complete drop off from, you know, you've done the sport all your life and then now you're just done. And there's, you know, unless you've made it to professional level, which is very minimal in the sports that actually have um, professional um, roster spots, you know, you can look at baseball and football and swimming is going to be even more limited because you're, you're, you're competing for Olympics, right? Um, so very few spots. Um, many of us don't make it to that level. Then uh, you're just, life happens. Like now you've graduated, you don't have a sport to play anymore. I always remember I'd have people ask me three, four years after I graduated, how's baseball going? It's like, well, I haven't, I haven't played baseball like three or four years. And they, they just, they always remember you as the baseball player, whether it's, you know, extended family or friends in the hometown. Um, you know, what was that transition? And this is kind of where you are in your life right now, right? Um, you're, you've applied, you've studied for law school. Now you're um, applying and getting accepted into law schools a little bit different than, um, uh, you know, looking at swim schools and getting scholarship offers, but still same at the same time, because you've worked hard um, you know, to, uh, to pass your test and get this opportunity. What is that transition process like from sport to now choosing a career? It's hard. I mean, your entire identity is wrapped around for me being a swimmer or for you playing baseball. Um, it's definitely a difficult transition. I knew that I still wanted to be involved in sports in some capacity. Um, and I actually had a professor in college who I built a really great relationship with who my senior year of college, she said, I have an internship opportunity for you if you want to be involved. And it was a sports marketing internship. I took it. I knew that swimming was coming to a close and I knew that I needed to find what was next. Um, I think being an athlete, you're always busy. You always have something going on. And I feared what was going to happen when that was done. And what, what was I going to do? Like, how was I going to occupy my time? What I couldn't just go to school. Like that just doesn't work for me. I get too bored doing that. So I ended up interning with a sports marketing company that led me to a full-time job. Um, I worked there for a year and a half and I loved it. I loved being around sports. I loved the entire atmosphere of sports. It was different. I wasn't competing, but I was still around it. Was and it I was still South getting... Carolina or where was it at? It was in Mississippi. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we were an outsourced company that handled all partnership marketing for various schools across the country and conferences. Okay. Yeah. So it was really awesome getting to kind of work on the flip side of it and getting to see the backside of, of sports, not necessarily being like the person out front with the face shown, but the person putting on the entire event, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I kind of had a similar path when I, I I graduated. Um, For me, I went home for a year and worked at a newspaper company doing advertising for the same company that I was a paper boy for when I was a kid. But then I had an opportunity to go back to grad school, be a grad assistant in the athletic department, and then run all the event management or assist the um, the guy who actually ran all of it. And it was like my... I still got to be around sports, 
um, in that capacity. I wasn't playing. Um, I did take up a lot of intramurals at that time to, you know, really get my, um, that, that playing part out of it. But it was similar in that that's, that's before I moved on to my career, um, in, in just, uh, technology, that was like a stepping stone for me. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine my life without sports. And I think it was a really nice transition into figuring out what I wanted to, what I wanted to do long-term. Um, so after working there for a year and a half, I decided, well, honestly, all of the controversy or what, um, with paying players and paint paint or paying athletes was really, really exciting to me. I loved the idea of being involved in that. And so that kind of led me down a path of, well, how can I advocate for that? So that drew me to law school. I ended up quitting my job and taking the LSAT. And now I will be starting law school in a month from now. Um, Still being involved in sports, but I wanted to actually do something and like advocate and participate in change for sports versus because I can't be a player anymore, but how else can I be involved and progress the sports forward? Yeah. Well, congrats on, uh, you know, starting law school school and being accepted. Um, and I mean, what a cool thing to, to have, you know, a path towards everything that's like such a hot topic right now and, and athletes getting paid, you know, recently in Florida, they just enacted the law um, out there. And I'm sure it's going to reciprocate itself eventually over across the United States. But I mean, what a, perfect timing for you to be involved in that and, and actually getting athletes who deserve to be paid, who are bringing the millions of dollars to these universities and your experience. I'm sure I always wished I had that, uh, that Southern football experience. Uh, I ended up going to a school that didn't have a football team, but you know, firsthand, you know, the draw that big football games have um, and the athletes that are bringing those fans to the games and who should in my opinion, um, be uh, compensated for their, their likeness. So that's awesome that you're going to do that. When, so when you're transitioning from um, end of college into a work career, uh, what, what is that most difficult part that if you were you know, telling an athlete that's going to go through that soon, um, what was the hardest part for you uh, understanding um, what you had and what you you're not going to have in in the workforce. I think the biggest transition is definitely the support system around you. Um, when you're on a team, you guys are all working towards a common goal. You guys support each other. You show up your freshman year and you have 40 friends that you're going to have for the next four years. You have a coaching staff who wants genuinely like wants the best for you and wants the best for everyone around you. And when you transition to the workforce, I think it's a little bit different. You have you have bosses who you might not get along with. You have bosses who might not agree with you. You guys have to find a common goal to move forward, kind of like I was used to with swimming and I was used to with college. But there's people who don't have the same thought process as you. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to have conversations when you transition into the workforce. If I didn't get along with my boss or I disagreed with my boss about something, it was hard to sit down and have an open communication as to what are we both working towards? Because 
I might've been used to having that conversation, but my boss might've never had that conversation with someone before. All right. So speed round, um, your favorite athlete role model growing up. Mm, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps. He might've had some blunders, but he still (laughs) elevated the sport more than anyone else. He's won just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Favorite moment ever, uh, in your sport that, that you experience yourself. So your favorite top highlight ever for Brittany Oxley. Um, it was my sophomore year at, in college at the university of South Carolina. We were at conference at the university of Missouri, which was my mom's alma mater. Um, I went a best time in my 200 breaststroke. It was the first time I made it back in finals at conference. Um, it was just a really special moment for me. That's really cool. And then yeah. your favorite professional sports moment that you've ever watched? Um, super weird. I don't like golf whatsoever, but Tiger Woods, when he won the Masters last year, I just remember turning on the TV and like, I don't understand golf, but this is the coolest comeback story I've ever seen. And yeah. I kind of, I like the redemption story. Yeah, no, that was a cool one. I was watched that. I don't watch golf that often. I play it a lot, but I don't watch it and that. I watched that whole weekend, um, and that was a really cool thing to see because, yeah, Tiger is Tiger. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Brittany, I really appreciate you uh, taking time to, to get on the Making an Athlete podcast, um, telling us your story, um, hoping that this is something for parents or young athletes out there who are listening um, to understand um, this important part of the the sports transition from um, college to workforce and then everything else that goes in before that and what your recruiting process was like, and maybe they can learn stuff from that. So appreciate you taking your time. Thank you for being on. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the making an athlete podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor. Check us out at making subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to catch our next episode.